0: And we just started worshiping God and really kind of shifting our focus off of worry and fear and uncertainty and praising the God that's always constant. He's always the same. Um, We weren't praising Him because of our circumstance, but we were just praising Him because of who He is. It made the biggest difference in our mindset. Welcome to the Storytellers
1: Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. And today we are bringing you a story from Natalie Warren from the Auburn Opelika community. And just get ready. This is maybe this yeah. is one where you grab a notebook and a pen.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so powerful and just so moving how she goes through her story and everything that God did. She's going to explain about a near-death illness that her five-year-old son had. But gosh, the layers of what we call sometimes here God winks Mm -hmm. that God showed her that he was with her and he was going to get her and her husband through this as well as her son was just amazing. So if you happen to be going through a difficult season right now, you definitely, like Robin said, want to have a pen and paper so you can write down all of the truths about God's character that you're going to learn through her story.
3: Yes. And I'm excited for our Patreon insiders. This Friday, Amy Grody is going to talk with Ashley Wood, who you might remember shared her story back in May of 2019. She was actually episode 50. And she shared about a difficult time that she had been through in fighting her Crohn's disease. And so they're going to catch up and visit So if you're a Patreon insider, I hope that information is coming straight to your email. If it's not, you might want to check your junk mail. We have gotten some feedback that Patreon finds itself in a lot of people's junk mail. So if you would like to become a Patreon insider, you can scroll down in our show notes or go to our website at StorytellersLive.org. Here's Natalie.
0: Okay, I was born and raised in Oak my mom is here tonight. My mom and dad had three girls, so we outnumbered my dad, and um, but he he just took part in that. It was a fun childhood. We grew up camping and doing lots of fun things together, and playing out in the backyard. And about um, my mom, was so gracious to let me pull up the chair in the kitchen and learn how to cook. And um, she's a great cook. Her mom was a great cook, and so I you know got some of those. Gifts and talents, and I still enjoy doing those things today. Um, I have always loved babies, like as long as I can remember. I loved a baby doll. I loved a live baby. If if we were anywhere that there were babies, I just was attracted to them. And then my mom and dad gave me a great gift when I was 11, and a live baby doll. And so she's sitting here today, and I got to help take care of her. And so just just from a really really early age, I knew I wanted to be a wife and I wanted to be a mom. And I feel like. God gave me the spiritual gifts that I needed to, to do that. Um, I love to nurture, and I love to plan, and I love to create parties and menus and all the things, but I also like to plan my life out. And very quickly, I realized that things weren't always going to go just like I planned, and this story you know, is a testimony to that, that my plans are not always God's plans. And that's okay. That's all right. I met my husband, Aaron, in 2012, his mom kind of instigated that he was living away she was living here and knew me and so she got with my mom and said hey we need them to meet and so um at the church easter egg hunt that was hosted at my parents house Aaron and i met on the front porch had a quick conversation that day and really hit it off so we dated long distance for three months before we got engaged
1: <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> um, and then four months after that we got married and when we got married To start our new life together, we moved. I quit my job. I quit my nursing job. So that was another thing is that love of babies made me want to go to nursing school. So I was working at the hospital in the newborn nursery. Um, So I quit my job, moved five hours from my family, and Aaron and I started our new life together, our new marriage. And God was so faithful in that. I look back on that now. I kind of made a funny face at three months. If my girls tell me that they're gonna get engaged and, and get married that quickly, I, I probably will um, panic a little bit. But the truth of it is, is Aaron and I had both had failed relationships before. We were super intentional about our relationship together and getting to know one another, and you know, very prayerful. And we just felt like God was calling us together, and and He was faithful to it. We moved to a place where He already lived and had a job, and I knew no one, and like I said, didn't have a job, but he was, he was so faithful. He gave us the sweetest friends and neighbors, and we just learned to rely on each other. And in six months, he put in for a transfer, and we moved closer to family. So we moved to Dothan, Alabama. The weekend we moved in, our parents all came and helped us, rallied around us help us move in, and we got the most exciting news when we found out that we were pregnant. Um, the weekend we moved in and so we were just thrilled like I said I had always wanted to be a mom and um, now that dream was coming true and Aaron was excited to be a dad and take that on and so we were thrilled very early in my pregnancy my blood pressure started to go up and so I was working at the hospital my doctor was also my friend and he kind of took some extra precautions and said you need to go on bed rest we need to just kind of keep this baby in and but in November, my blood pressure got too high, I went to the hospital in Dothan, and they realized that I was going into preeclampsia. My coworkers all kind of gathered up, friends' co-workers who were taking care of me, and were like, you're going to go on an ambulance ride. So I went from Dothan to Birmingham, UAB, and the doctor there very quickly told me that I was going to be delivering Judson that day. So at 31 weeks, by emergency C-section, Judson came into this world, in and he had a grand entry, um, he weighed three pounds and 13 ounces. I just, I remember hearing him cry for the first time. I was laying on the operating table and that little voice cried and then they whisked him off into another room and I laid on that table and in an in instant, my whole world changed. You know, you think you're going to be ready to be a parent and you think you know what it feels like and, and then, who all of a sudden, all this responsibility comes on you. end. The next week, I stayed inpatient in the hospital because um, I actually progressed from preeclampsia into HELP syndrome, which was pretty critical, and uh, I needed lots of blood transfusions and lots of treatment, and so then Judson got to stay in the NICU for 25 days. That was a season of total trust building for Aaron and I. We had only been married a year, and we, we were inexperienced. We had no idea what we were doing, but our family rallied around us, and friends and and we learned a lot about each other and a lot about parenting in a very quick instant and on um, that December they mid-December they sent us home with a little tiny four-pound baby and I remember we got in the car that day to drive from Birmingham to Dayton, and we kind of laughed and we were like I can't believe they sent this baby home with us like <laughs> here we go you know uh, and so we went home and we just kind of hunkered down y'all we it was going into Christmas and we thought we're just going to stay home we're going to keep them safe we're just going to hold them tight, and keep our arms around them, and, and we did that. We, we stayed home. We canceled all the family activities. We were, like, we're not coming home. We're not going to be around anybody, and we kept this tiny little baby well, and uh, we went to lots of follow-ups, and he was getting better, and so over the course of the next year, we sort of got comfortable in that role as being parents, and we settled in. We bought a house in Dothan. We called it our forever house. We bought it thinking we were going to live there forever, and probably God was laughing at us, but then the next December, so we'd had Judson home a year, we got a phone call that Aaron's dad had been diagnosed with leukemia. Um, we thought that we were kind of over, we had really fought this battle with Judson, born early, you know, it was it was really uncertain, and we thought, okay, we're done with that really hard season in our life, and now it's going to be smooth sailing from here, and so um, I remember we got that call late at night, and we just really struggled with that, and Aaron's dad was very sick, very quick, and um, our family just kind of rallied around him, and it was another tough season, and I remember sort of thinking, and Aaron and I talking about, I can't believe something else hard is happening, but I'm not really sure why that surprised us so much, because in the Word, we're, we're assured that we will have troubles, and we will have hard times, but it was just another season to build our faith. A couple of months later, we found out some more good news that we were expecting our second baby. This time, a girl. It was Ann Bradley. We love her so much. She is everything I always hoped for in a daughter. She's she's just like a little mini-me. She loves to do everything I like to do, and and that's so fun. And Anyway, that, that year in August, um, we lost Aaron's dad. He lost his battle with cancer, but he is fully healed in heaven and and one month later, Anne Bradley was delivered. And so it was just sort of a, it was a really sad season for our family, but also one where we, we welcomed into the family Anne Bradley and also two other babies, two other cousins. And so it, it was just God's way of saying, this is all part of my plan. Another significant part of David getting sick, Aaron's dad getting sick, is that while he was sick, he talked with Aaron a lot about the plans that he had made as far as Preparing his retirement and his insurance, and kind of he wanted to make sure that Aaron's mom was okay when he was gone, especially once we got to the point where we knew that he was most likely going to heaven. And so Aaron came to me one day and he said, Natalie, I think that I'm supposed to quit my job and change careers. Aaron had been an engineer for 15 years, he worked with a very reputable and great company. He was moving up in the company, and I was like, Really? but God had started to stir my heart wanting to be back closer to my family, you know, just with having kids and things, and so um, after much prayer, we decided to take that leap of faith, and Aaron quit his engineering career and interviewed with State Farm and opened up an agency, and it just happened to be that the agency that they put him in um, was in Columbus, Georgia, which was right here close to our family, so we packed up our family and moved to like and moved back home, which was such an answer to prayer and such a provision from God that I, he was preparing us for a season that we had not even walked through yet. But he knew what we were going to walk through. He knew where we needed to be and what we were going to need. And looking back on that now, he used such a hard thing with losing David and the way that we lost him to provide for us in such a great way. And so Aaron now has the opportunity to um, help other families prepare for the unexpected. And, and he talks about his dad on a daily basis at work. And, and he also, you know, shares that with, with people when he's helping them. So we got Topolica. Mom and dad were gracious enough to let us live with them while we remodeled a house. We had babies in laundry rooms and everywhere we could stick them. Um, it, it was fun, but it, I'm sure they were ready for us to be out. Yeah. um so we moved the lord opened up a door for us to buy a house two doors down from them we remodeled it moved in and we'd been there about a year we were getting settled in and we found out that we were going to have caroline our third baby and so we we're we we're thrilled caroline is for the people in the room that know her caroline is every bit of spunk that we needed in our family i mean she is just She's just full of joy and energy, but she is so full of personality, too. And so um, she's such a gift, such a, such, such a spark in our family. So, uh, so we had young children um, rocking along. Erin had a young agency. We had this new new job, lots of kids. And we were busy, 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 but happy. And I remember sort of feeling like, okay, we're settled here. Everything's going really well. And it was. I mean, we had a five year old, a three year old, a one year old. I lived two doors down from my parents. I mean, what more can a girl ask for, right? Great husband, and life was good. And that's when everything kind of got turned upside down. It was May of 2019, and Judson was finishing up his last year of preschool. We were sort of preparing for the end of the year and getting ready for summer. We're going to move into kindergarten. And like I told y'all, I'm a planner. I like to plan things and so Judson got a little cold, which progressed into strep throat, and so we started having to miss end of the year activities. I was just heartbroken. We weren't gonna get to do cap and gown for preschool. Now looking back on that, I think that was so silly, but it was it really was a disappointment for me and for him too. In the early morning hours of May seventeenth, his sickness progressed from strep throat to some stomach issues. He woke up, woke us up in the middle of the night in pretty severe pain. And we noticed that he had blood in his diarrhea. And so, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty about how he could have gotten sick so quickly. Um, We went to the doctor that very next morning, as soon as they opened, and they very quickly sent us to our local hospital and said, you know, we need to figure out what's going on, see if we can get Judson comfortable, find out what's happening. We feel like it's a bacterial infection. That's what it looks like, but let's just kind of run all the tests. So we got to the hospital. X-rays clear. Ultrasound's clear. We're just going to wait on the stool culture. That night in the hospital was pretty miserable. Judson would wake up every 15 to 30 minutes like clockwork. He would flip over in the bed, tangled in wires and cords, and and scream out things like, um, mama, make it stop, or... He would say, it just hurts so bad, Mama. What can we do? You know, I felt helpless, which is hard for me. It was, I thought it was my job to protect my kids and to keep them safe and to keep them from harm and to keep them from hurt. Here I sat and I wasn't able to do one thing for Judson. The nurses that were taking care of him were some of my dear friends because I had worked up there just in a sister unit, and they were sitting at the nurse's station hearing him scream and saying, we don't know what else we can do for him. A friend sent me a scripture that night in the hospital room, and I read it. It was about when Paul was begging. It was from 2 Corinthians when Paul is begging for the thorn to come out of his side and for the suffering to stop. And the response from Jesus is, my grace is enough. That's all you need. You're In your weakness, I'm strong. I remember kind of reading that out loud to Judson and then thinking, I can't believe I'm asking my five-year-old to be thankful for his suffering. I'm not even thankful for this suffering. I want it to stop. But in that room that night, I realized that that was out of my control. I couldn't do anything to change it. The next morning, they found blood in Judson's urine. And so along with the lab results, that kind of keyed the the doctors to know, hey, it's time for us to move on to children's. They had been talking to children's the whole time, but those were indicators. Just, hey, it's time for us to take an ambulance ride. And so I was, I had actually run home to, to shower and do some things, and Aaron called me and said, I think you need to come back. And so I said goodbye to the girls for I didn't know how long. That, that is another, like, truthfully heartbreaking thing that stands out in my mind. I said goodbye to my three- and one-year-old, for I didn't know how long. I didn't know when I was coming back. But again, the Lord had provided a setup to where my mother-in-law was there that day. She was able to take care of them in our home. Uh, you know, she sent us off and never skipped a beat that I'll be here and I'll run things. My mom and dad met us at the hospital. And so we we left, and we were taken care of. God provided for us, even though it was really, really hard um, he, he was providing and he was setting up things before we could ever even get our feet on the ground. We were in the ambulance. Aaron followed behind in his truck. It was so eerily similar to Judson's birth. We were both thinking, here we go again, back up to Birmingham. They admitted us to the special care unit and continue to run some tests and just try to get Judson as comfortable as they could. And in the early hours of that the next day, I guess, in the early morning hours, they diagnosed Judson with hemolytic uremic syndrome. I had had a nursing, I mean, I have a nursing background. I had worked as a nurse. I had never heard of that condition before, and I was completely overwhelmed. But the nephrologist on call, who has become just a sweet, Judson, sweet doctor, he sat down with us and explained everything, and he drew pictures for us, and he told us what was happening. He was so kind to two very overwhelmed parents and he explained that hemolytic uremic syndrome, HUS, is caused by E. coli and that it actually attacks the vessels and so what it does is it breaks down the vessel and damages it in a way that it's not able to make platelets, it's not able to, the blood's not able to clot. Um, Again, all this stuff just seemed, I think at some point the room just sort of started spinning. He said because Um, kidneys are so vascular. Judson is in acute kidney failure. I mean, it felt like someone punched me. I, I said, what? He was like healthy and happy and running and jumping like a few days ago. How could he be in kidney failure? How is this happening? He said that this type of E. coli, which is like a very specific type of E. coli, does not always cause HUS, and he said it actually is very rare for it to cause HUS, but if it if it does, it's usually in young children or people with low immune system. And he said because Judson had that cold and because he had strep throat, he was probably exposed to E. coli, and, and it was like the perfect storm, and his body just couldn't fight it off. I wanted to figure out where he got it from. I was like, this is my job as a mom to protect him. How could I not have kept this from happening? And I racked my brain. We wash our hands. We don't eat raw meat. We had not been around cattle. We hadn't been to a public pool. I mean, the health department was calling me trying to trace this to make sure that no one else was going to get it. Have you been to a water park? No. I mean, I couldn't think of anything. And I still, to this day, have not been able to pinpoint where Judson picked up E. coli. I think it's another part of me being able to trust the Lord and know that I am not going to be able to protect him from everything. I'm not going to be able to protect him his whole life. What It's not even my job to do that. That's not what God calls me to do, but it's still hard for me to release. It's still hard for me to do. Um, I'm beginning to learn. Anyway, Dr. Fai explained to us that there was lots of uncertainty with HUS. He said, I can almost tell you with all certainty that these two things you will not know. And that is, number one, what the outcome of this is going to be. I cannot tell you. I can't tell you um, if, if his vessels will be able to heal themselves. And number two, he said, I can't tell you what time frame we're on. I have no idea how long this will take. And he said, but I can tell you one thing, and that is Judson's going to get worse before he gets better. I thought, how can he get worse? How could it be any worse than it is right now? He's in kidney failure. But Dr. Fide told me that out of the kindness of his heart because Judson did get worse, and he knew that I needed to be prepared for that. He said, there's no treatment for us. We cannot stop this. We cannot make the, you know, keep the vessels from damaging. What we're going to do is we're going to support Judson's vital organs while, um, While the vessels aren't doing their job. And so we just recovered with fear. We recovered with uncertainty and just disbelief. I couldn't believe. I I was like, things like this don't, this is like things that you hear about. I can't imagine that this is happening to my own child right now. Um, So Aaron and I talked with the Judson about it. Because at this point, he, um, they had given him a lot of pain medicine. And he was drowsy. He was trying to rest some. But we just kind of went over his bed. We had already begged people to pray for him. We had already asked tons of people, please pray for Judson. Please pray for Judson. So we we went over to his bed and we said, Judson, you are in a great hospital. And there are tons of people that are praying for you. And we're going to do everything we can to help you get better. I just remember like trying to stroke his arm and him asking me not to touch him because it hurt too bad. And so we didn't. We just thought, you know, we're just going to let him rest. But that was hard. It's hard because I just wanted to be close to him. I couldn't. So what Dr. Feig said came true. Judson did get worse. And he got worse quickly. So they moved him that night from or, or that morning from special care into the pediatric intensive care unit. And they made the suggestion and said that they thought the best plan of care was to sedate him. Put him on a ventilator give him blood transfusion, and start him on bedside hemodialysis. And they said, and we want you to be in the room when we put him to sleep. Of course, we wanted to be in the room. We wanted to be there with him. That was one of the hardest things I've ever watched, was for his eyes to roll back and the grip to leave his hand. And as soon as his little body went limp, it was like they just pushed us out of the room so that they could start working on him. I understood completely what they were doing, but it still was just like impossibly hard. And I, we got out into the hall. They closed the door behind us, and my knees just quit holding me up. I couldn't even stand, and I just kind of like fell into Aaron's arms. And I remember saying to him, Aaron, I cannot do this. I cannot lose Judson. I cannot live without him. Aaron was so encouraging to hold me up, both physically, he held me up that day, but also emotionally, and he said to me, Natalie, you can do this, and you will do this. If God calls us to it, he will walk us through this. He told me later um, that the day that we rode up in uh, the ambulance and he was riding behind us, Aaron said, God started talking to me that that day in the car, and he brought to my mind Abraham and Isaac. And he said, I just started thinking about that story, and I thought, how in the world did Abraham take his son to the top of that mountain and just give him to God? How could you do that? And he, he said, I know why he did it. It was because he could trust God. And I know that we've got to trust God. And he said, that day riding in the car, that he just felt this overwhelming peace come over him. And he said, it wasn't because I knew what the outcome was going to be. It wasn't because I thought, oh, God is going to save Judson. He said, I just knew God was going to see us through it. And he said, and I just, I think, I think he did that, you know, so that I would be able to stand here to you right now and say, we can do this. And like looking back on this, that was one of the greatest provisions was that God used Aaron to hold me up that day and there were other times where we were worn out and I was able to hold him up and I was able to point him back to the truth and there were so many people that were sending us scripture and were sending us encouragement and were sending us songs and so many people were pointing us back to the truth it was incredible I kept hearing over and over and over do not be afraid do not be afraid. And one day, my sister Katie Caroline sent me this bracelet in the mail. And I still wear it today. And it says, do not be afraid. And it has Judson's initials on it. And it reminded me of a verse that a friend had sent me. "Is Joshua nine? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I knew I was going to need to hear that more than once. I was so afraid, y'all, and so I put it on that day, and I wear it still because I still need to know that I, I don't need to be afraid. Um, Judson was supposed to be on life support for 24 to 36 hours. That was the original plan, just, just enough time for them to get some central lines in and um, give his body some rest, the rest that it needed. Um, he looked awful. I mean, that's the only way I know how to describe it. He was swollen all over. Every bit of him was holding fluid. He had cords and wires more than I could even count. Machines everywhere. People were constantly rearranging his room. But the nurses that we had were fabulous, and they were so kind to Judson, they would He was asleep. He was sedated and paralyzed. But he, they would talk to him and tell him every move they were making, and it was so. They were kind to us. They were kind to him. They were so gracious. And so I heard him talking to Judson, and I thought, well, I don't know if he can hear me or not, but I'm going to talk to him too. I had been thinking about David and Goliath, and and I said, Aaron, I think I think we need to tell him about David and Goliath. Aaron was like okay let's do (laughs) it and so we stood over his bed one morning and we said judson we just want to remind you of the story of david and goliath i want you to remember that he was so little and he shouldn't have been able to beat that giant but he was so brave judson i was like you know the king wanted to send him in his armor but he told him i don't need the armor and he just had a sling and a you know those five stones and Judson, he defeated him. He defeated that giant because he had strength from the Lord and you can do it too. Like We just kind of, I don't know. I just felt like he needed that encouragement. I I thought he needed to hear that. It's as silly as that sounds and like I said, I don't know if Judson could hear us but that afternoon, Shelly, my sister, called me and she said, Dabbly, I've been reading about David and Goliath and I think you need to tell Judson about him. And I was able to say to her, I already have. I think that was so neat how God just kept showing us over and over. I am in this. I am with you. I'm going to send you support. I'm going to send you reassurance. I'm going to tell you something. And if you don't hear it the first time, I'm going to tell you again. Because you still need us. And I, I know that you need me. We were completely worn out physically and emotionally. As much support as we had, we were just swiped out. And the precious nurses were like, can y'all please go get some sleep somewhere? I mean, we had been sleeping on the floor in the hospital on the couch. And so they were like, you really go go get a hotel room and get some sleep tonight. And so as hard as that was, Erin and I left and went to a hotel room. And the next morning we got a terrifying phone call at about 6 o'clock, I think it was. And it was the daytime nurse, and she said, Judson had a really bad night, and we think y'all need to come back and be in the building. His body is going into shock, and and we just don't want y'all to be too far away. Never packed up a bag so quickly. I just scooped things up and threw them in the suitcase, and we were just across the street. But we, we got back, and there were nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists and lab technicians and everyone that you could imagine all in this small room and they were all moving and adjusting and doing things to Judson and they pulled us out into the hall and told us that now not only were his kidneys failing but he was in acute respiratory distress that his lungs were getting tired and I just remember thinking Dr. Feig was right he's getting worse much worse Um, and we begged God to just please heal his body we (sighs) We knew that God was able to do it, but we didn't know what God's will would be. And we were just begging that his will lined up with our desire for Judson's life. Um, that night, they worked all day long, all day long. And that night, the doctor on call came in and I, she told us, you know, that everything seemed about the same and that Judson wasn't really responding well. And I just had to ask her, I was like, can you just tell me, is Judson going to make it? Just needed somebody to reassure me that this was going to be hard and we were going to walk through and that it was going to be okay. And she looked at me and she said, I cannot tell you that. Some children make it and some do not. And she was like, I'm sorry, I just need to be honest with you. And I I appreciated her honesty and she left. And I just remember thinking I wanted to, I wanted to have something... To hold on to. I wanted some assurance. But once again, the Lord was saying, do not put your hope in this medical team. Do not put your hope in what you can see, Natalie. You put your hope in me. And and it was uncertain. and It, it was uncertain for several days. Um, we had a family group text going. And one day, my sister-in-law sent me a text on that group text. And it was a song. And she said, I want everybody to play this song at the same time, wherever you are, and let's just worship together, um, play it in Judson's room, and it was Raise a Hallelujah. I had never heard that song. It's pretty popular now, but at that time, it had just come out, and I had never heard it. It says, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. And up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah, and I will watch the darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. I raise a hallelujah, fear you've lost your hold on me. Rebecca said, I don't, this, this song was written for a little boy who is sick. I just think we need to you know, praise God together. And we did. Everywhere we were, different cities, different uh, states even, we, we were worshiping God. We played it in Judson's room, and it very quickly became an anthem for us. I, I mean, it, it has so much truth in it, and, and, and we just started worshiping God and really kind of shifting our focus off of worry and fear and uncertainty And praising the God that's always constant, he's always the same. Um, We weren't praising him because of our circumstance, but we were just praising him because of who he is. Um, It made the biggest difference in our mindset in our room. A few days later, I got a text from a previous co-worker who did not know that we were listening to that song and did not know that we were worshiping with it. And she said, I think you need to hear this song. It, I think you need to worship with it. It was raised a hallelujah. And she said, it's written for a little boy who has HUS or had HUS. And his name is Jackson. And I just, my heart skipped a beat. I knew immediately that the Lord was confirming that... Um, I'm here. I'm talking to you. I'm speaking to you. I'm all around you, and I'm going to comfort you through this. And and truthfully, what happened was fear lost its hold on me. I, I hope, you know, rose up in our hearts, and we thought, you know what? No matter what, God's going to see us through this. I think that's the first time that I realized that heartbreak and uncertainty and pain can coexist with comfort and joy and peace if you have your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because there was something different about our our hospital room that we recognized. I mean, we were going through an impossible situation or what we felt like was impossible. But we were able to find joy with one another. And our, our nurses were coming in. Our nurses and our doctors were experiencing it too. And they would come in and they would say, hey, I've got a worship song for you. I want you to play this. And they were sharing their struggles. One of our sweet nurses um, that had Judson several days in a row, she ended up opening up and sharing with me about her infertility. And we were able to pray together. And now today she has a baby. And I've been able to share in that with her. The Lord used another one of our young nurses. Um, she came in and she talked to me about the, the heartache that she had experienced just a year before when she lost her mom. And, and she shared with me some scripture and some some worship songs that she used. And she said, you know, the Lord didn't answer my prayer exactly the way that I wanted it to be answered, but he's still been with me. And I think that the, the reason that the Lord was able to connect our hearts was because of that worship. I think that when we put our eyes on him and took our eyes off of all the, the bad stuff, all the stuff that was weighing us down, he was able to really use everyone around us. It was incredible. Uh, that 24 to 36 hours that Judson was supposed to be on life support turned into nine days. It was so long. Every time that they would try to wean down his ventilator settings or, or um, adjust something and kind of let him do it on his own, his body just responded in a way that said that he was not ready. His body was really, really stressed, and we just prayed and we waited. It was a roller coaster of emotions. Um we we had sweet friends. Carrie got together a um, prayer meeting and, and people, family, friends, everybody from our hometown got together and they worshiped together and they prayed for Judson. We had specific prayer requests. We were all just begging God to heal him and to, to work in a mighty way. I remember one morning they came in and I was so ready for Judson to make a turn. I was so ready for something positive, for something encouraging. It just felt like every time they came in, There was some other system that was struggling some other something that was hurting and that morning they came in and said that they felt like judson needed a chest tube that his he had fluid around his lungs and even with the ventilator settings as high as they would like to have them he still was struggling and so i just felt so defeated but i thought what other option do we have sure you know put in the chest tube and let's see but but i was so discouraged and as soon as they—that that was the morning that Carrie came to visit us. And that's just another provision, though. Carrie had already walked through something, and moving us back to Opelika, God had reunited our friendship, and she was able to lift me up and encourage me because she had already walked through something very similar personally. She visited me in the morning that they were putting in Judson's chest tube, and, and she allowed me to just kind of to be sad and to be disappointed. And she, she said, it's okay if, if this isn't happening the way you want it to. It was so encouraging to me and such a relief. But as soon as they put in those chest, that one chest tube, his vitals changed. They kind of started to improve. And I thought, oh, man, maybe that wasn't such a bad idea anyway. And that night on doctor's rounds, um, the female doctor that... Made rounds that night, she walked into our room and with one single word, she updated us on Judson and she just said, Better. And she smiled. And I thought, Thank you. Thank you. We were not out of the woods. He was not 100%, but he was better. And that was, that was what my heart needed. A couple of days later, the doctor came in and said the sweetest thing, and that was that Judson was in the recovery phase of HUS. Meaning that his vessels had stopped being damaged and they were beginning to heal. That was what we had hoped for this whole time. That was what Dr. Feig had said. I can't tell you if that's gonna happen or not, but it did. And it happened on May 24th. And that morning, we were so excited. We were, again, not out of the woods, there was still a lot that had to happen. But now was the time where we got to see if all that support that we had offered to his organs had worked and, if, and to make sure that there was not any permanent damage. The next few days were some of the hardest. I think that's kind of what happens. You, like, have this high, and then, and then it gets hard again because I expected, am I supposed to, like, hop out of the bed and be fine? No. I, I knew that that wasn't the way it was going to happen, but it just didn't happen as quickly as we had hoped. Um, our family who was taking great care of our girls, um, we said, okay, we're, we're finally ready for y'all to bring the girls up to see us. We had been away from them for so long. It was, oh, it was just so hard. And so I thought, oh, the girls coming will be good. Um, the girls coming was really hard because they came and they saw us and then we had to say goodbye again. But you know what? The Lord held them up too and he never let them feel. He constantly helped them to fill his love. Um, again, they were being taken care of with their grandparents, who they love, aunts, uncles. They had friends dropping off meals. I mean, everybody was taking care of everything. Aaron said one time, you know, it's like our world just stopped. And I said, no, Aaron, our world never stopped. We stopped doing it, and everybody else just came in and picked it right up. And that was the most incredible thing to us is, Everything just kept going. It kept going so smoothly because the Lord had orchestrated it, and it was really incredible. But he held our girls, and and he held me through that separation, even though it was really, really a, a tough part of this. In the next couple of days, they said, we're ready to wake Judson up. We're ready to try to do this again. We're tr- ready to try to wean the ventilator. And I think because they had tried so many times and it had not worked well, that um, I just sort of thought, I don't know if this is going to work again. I'm not going to let myself get excited about it. But um, they winged down enough, and his body responded in a way that it looked like he was going to let them pull that, that tube. And so they pulled back on the sedation drugs, and Judson opened his eyes. And he nodded his head some, and he squeezed her hands. Oh, it felt good. It felt good to see him move. The day that they pulled out his breathing tube was May 28. And we all gathered around his bed. He was already breathing around the tube. But they pulled it out. And me and Aaron and our sweet friend, our nurse friend, and the doctors and the respiratory therapists, we all cheered. And we were just like, Woo! And Judson looked at us like, what in the world is happening? <laughs> yeah. And he, But he was so calm. He was so calm. And he squeezed our hands. And, and that was such an answer to prayer because... Um, we had been warned that Judson might have some neurologic damage from you know the times where his vessels were being damaged, and, and, and he did not have any of that. He was, he was very calm and um, very relaxed. And that night, he was able to point to some pictures. He had little laminated cards for what he wanted, and he would point to it and, uh, again, squeeze our hands. And it just felt so good to finally feel like we had Judson back just a little bit. The next couple of days, he began to talk. He would say things like, I love you, Mom. He had a little raspy voice. It was the sweetest thing. I still don't know if he understood why I was crying so (laughs) much. I was just so happy to have him back. It wasn't over then. It wasn't like that was the end of Judson's sickness. It still took him several, several days to wake up fully. Um, He had EEGs to rule out seizures. He had ultrasounds when they thought that his bowels were perforated. He had X-rays and neurologic studies. Uh, they weaned him off of his sedation and paralytic drugs, which caused some pretty awful withdrawal symptoms. Um, he had fevers and high blood pressures and O2 sat drops. Uh, he had more fluid around his lungs and more chest tubes. He got really agitated when we would make him sit up in the bed and like do exercises. But the ultimate, the big picture, the end of the story is God performed a miracle in Judson. He healed him. He brought him from a very, very sick little boy and restored him to complete health. And it was a marvel to me, and it was a marvel to Aaron, but it was even a marvel to his doctors and his nurses who told us over and over, not everyone has this outcome. Not everyone responds like this. And we were able to say it was God. We gave him all the glory. He took the next few weeks learning how to re-walk, re-sit up in bed and hold his head up, eat. Um, He struggled to eat for a while, struggled to swallow. Judson has always loved Legos, and my sister-in-law would bring him Lego sets when he would ask for them, and he would try to put them together, and his little hands would shake. But that was such a victory when he learned to put those back together again. He loved that. And, of course, his uh, physical therapist and occupational therapist, they loved that. They were like, let him put together as many Legos as he wants. But those were challenges. Those (coughs) little bitty things that we take for granted, they were hard for him. We still didn't really know what our outlook looked like. Um, we talked to the doctors about changing out Judson's central lines to put in like semi-permanent ports so that he could have some outpatient dialysis. His labs started getting better, and they started saying, "Well, I don't know. He's making urine. He's making urine on his own. We we're not sure about this. We're gonna let's take a day off of dialysis. Let's see. Let's see." And so, after 21 days of being on dialysis, our doctor came in and said, "We're not going to put in that port." Because Judson doesn't need dialysis anymore at all. Wow, that was incredible. It was truly a miracle where God stepped in and did more than we could have ever dared to ask or hope. The neat thing about miracles is, and my sweet friend Betsy told me this, and I'm going to use your words, that miracles don't always, rarely do they, just affect the person that's walked through them. Um, even in the Bible, you think about the miracles there. They they affect all the people around them, the people who've witnessed them, the people who years later read about them. And so that same thing has happened with Judson's story. And so I want to share a story with y'all. Betsy was living in Nepal when Judson got sick. And when she heard about him, she immediately moved into prayer. And, And she, you know, just started praying. And Sweet little Matthew that was two and a half then, he started praying with her. And they sometimes they would pray for 30 minutes. Sometimes they would pray for two hours. But they were just praising God and raising a hallelujah. And they had a woman, Miss Goma, who would come into their house and help with things. And so she witnessed Betsy praying for Judson and praising God. Now, the thing that you need to know about Nepal is that is a Hindu nation. And less than 1% of people there are Christians. So Betsy could not legally go in and share with Miss Goma the gospel. But she saw her praying for Judson, and she saw her raising a hallelujah, and slowly but surely Miss Goma started saying, I want to know about Judson. Can you tell me who is he and what's going on with him? And so Betsy said, well, sure, I'll tell you about him. And she started even reading some Facebook updates to her and saying, here, let me tell you about Judson. And Miss Goma, help me here, with a ticca, on her forehead, and a kurta wearing a devout Hindu woman said to Betsy, Your God is gonna heal him. So she knew, not because of anything that she'd experienced in her own life, but she knew something in her knew that God was gonna heal Judson. And she didn't say, A God, she said, Your God, the one true God. So She got invested in Judson, y'all. She wanted to know about him. She wanted to know about his updates. So every single day, she would come in and ask Betsy to read her these updates about Judson. So a few weeks later, when he was getting better and and he was healed, then she said to Betsy, she said, Ma'am, I told you your God was going to heal him. I think that's incredible, (laughs) y'all. Like, all these miles away, we had no idea how God was using Judson's sickness to reach somebody who might otherwise would have never heard the gospel. But because of that situation, she witnessed a miracle. And she'll remember that. She'll remember that the one true God healed this little boy and she believed he could do it. He was able. There were so many times in Judson's walk that we felt caught off guard, but God never was. Psalm 139, four through five says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. I already kind of talked to y'all about our move from dope and dope. Like, I think that was totally orchestrated by the Lord. Um, I already told you about our friendships. Uh, another provision was Aaron had had shoulder surgery the week before Judson got sick because he was going to have shoulder surgery. We had asked our dear friends that have a landscaping business hey, can y'all step in and cut our grass for just, just a quick season? Because Erin's got the shoulder surgery, never knowing that we were about to leave our house for a month. And and that was all taken care of. It was all already lined up. But that was a God thing. My sister-in-law and her husband, they live in Birmingham. And they opened up their home to us. We would take turns going back and forth. And um, they would come to the hospital. My sister-in-law, Rebecca, she would come to the hospital and sit with us. She would pick up our laundry and do it and bring us meals. And all while she was at the hospital, her husband was... At home, taking care of their family, I think that is such a perfect picture of the body of Christ and how people come together and lift you up. and And we've told Judson that since, you know, we've we've talked to him about the multitude of people that came together from all different walks of life, people that we knew and people that we had never met, people that had similar backgrounds as us and people who are totally different from us. Everybody rallied around him, and God used each person in a different way. It was just it was just an incredible thing. The big thing that I have learned through this walk with Judson is I can't protect my children. I can't keep them from harm or hurt. I wished I could. It's my job to point them back to Jesus, to say no matter what you walk through, he's going to be there with you, and you're going to have some hard stuff happen, and it's going to hurt me just like it hurt my mama when I walked through it. But you can always keep your eyes fixed on him. And again, uh, Joshua 1.9, he, he's going to be with you no matter what. You don't have to be afraid. Um, God equipped us and he prepared us for this more than we even realized. Um, and he, his faithfulness remained. And so that day when I stood in the hall and I said, I can't do this. I was right. I couldn't do it. But God was able to give me the strength that I needed to walk through that and to endure it. Um, And not only to do that, but to to learn from it. I just want to close with this last verse. I think that this, it so sums up what God did. It's Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory be to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within you to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Because that's what he did with Judson. Infinitely more.
2: You know, as we said at the beginning of the story, there were just so many layers of truth about who God is and His character and learning how to trust Him in difficult moments, in, in moments where you are literally on your face, praying, God, please do something. You know, one thing that just spoke to me, and I think it's because I had recently seen the movie called His Only Son, was when she spoke about the story of Abraham and Isaac, and and how the only reason why Abraham could do that was because he trusted God and his plan. But you know, in the movie, one thing that was beautiful of how they depicted that story was Abraham struggled. I mean, he was crying out to God and and saying, please, something else, do something else. But yet he still sat in his faith and his trust that God is good. And she also used the story of David and Goliath. I always mm-hmm. think, you know, God used, and he still does today, as with Natalie's story, he uses the power of story in scripture yeah. to explain who he is. And he still uses the power of story like Natalie's story to explain who he is as well, that he is a God that is trustworthy. And, and one thing just in particular is her husband said, I'm not trusting him because he's going to heal him. That's right? right. I'm trusting him because I love him yeah. and he can. Do all things for good.
3: And I love the beautiful picture of their marriage because mm-hmm. she specifically said, when I was weak, he, he was strong. Yes. And yeah. then in other mm-hmm. times, you know, I had to be strong for him. And that is exactly what the Lord wants in our marriages.
1: Mm-hmm. I was able to relate to this in a lot of different ways. If you've listened for a long time, you know that our daughter has had multiple surgeries over the years and it's, it's just part of our life and part of our journey. And so. I could relate 110% when she said that she thought it was her job to protect her son and she couldn't help him. Mm. I mean, (laughs) without going too deep, that was my counseling session two weeks ago. Mm. I mean, isn't it my job to fix Mm this? Isn't it my job to make it better and and take away the pain and do all of these things? And it's not. (laughs) But it's so easy as a parent to find ourselves there, whether your child's in the hospital or whether your child didn't make cheerleading. Right. right. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter the severity of the issue. I think as a parent, our heart is to fix it, to yeah. want to fix it. Absolutely. And, and we just can't. It's not our job. Yeah. And mm. sometimes we take responsibility for
2: things that aren't our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Whether you said, like you said, if it was if it's an illness, if it's a wayward child, if it's, you know, a child doesn't make cheerleading or dance right. or whatever. We want to fix it. We want to we wanna try to bring them to God over it. And that's not even yes. our responsibility
1: either. I mean, I caught myself, God, I just want, I want to make sure that she still loves
3: you. Yeah. Like even though life yeah, is difficult. so hard.
1: Yeah. And he is like, okay, I, I got <laughs> yeah, it.
3: Because we want we to fix their faith too for them.
1: A hundred percent. And that one surprised me. That surprised me that I even was thinking that in my head. And so anyways, I could just relate on so many levels to the helplessness.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the beautiful picture. Natalie said that heartbreak, uncertainty, and pain can coexist with comfort, joy, and peace. It reminds me of the verse from First Peter that says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And you know, that is something that we as believers have. We have that inexpressible joy that is only the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And so as she's going through this difficult time with her son, she still is just feeling the presence of the Lord, not necessarily that Judson was going to be healed, but that she could trust God in the, in the journey. And that was such a wonderful reminder. Oh, definitely. And you know, I think we talk about this often,
1: but the sense of community.
3: Mm-hmm. Is so
1: key. It's what our storytellers communities are about. It's why we love meeting in in dens and homes all around the country is because community is so key. And so when Natalie and her husband were having this conversation about how their world just stopped and her husband said, you know, our world stopped. And she said, our world never stopped. We just stopped doing it. And other people picked it up for us. Mm-hmm. And what a picture. Isn't, I mean, over and we see it over and over and over again. Yeah. That your world may stop for you,
3: but that other people carry. That's Care right. A- again, yeah. it's the body of Christ. Right. It's believers stepping in, using their gifts and, and just supporting each other. Yeah.
2: And I'd be remiss to, to not say one thing that really stood out in her story as well was just, and it, and for some reason, I feel like God is laying on my heart to say to somebody who's listening, you know, that she said, don't put your hope in the medical team, put your hope in God. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if someone who's listening is really walking through something very difficult that you've been giving a difficult diagnosis or someone you love has. Just remember our God is bigger. You know, put your hope in him and he is going to bring you through that. Whether it's the answer to your prayer that you want or the answer that you get, yeah. he is going to pull you through it.
1: And if you want to listen to raise a hallelujah, which we not only titled this story, but Man, that song, it's so very powerful, powerful yes. and it was very powerful in Natalie's story. We will have a link to that in the show notes. And that, in and of itself, is an incredible tie in, yes. you know, the, the history behind that song and mm-hmm. how a parallel to their life. Yes. I feel like this story is just (laughs) only God, only God, only God. (laughs) There are so many things. Uh, You may need to listen again if you didn't get out your notebook like we suggested, but we (laughs) have no doubt that you found incredible encouragement through this and how the Lord can meet you in whatever you're walking through. So thanks for listening today. Share this story with a friend. It will bring, we just know that it brings hope. And so you may have a friend today that needs hope, and this is the story for them. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.